welcome to Get Divorced Without Getting Screwed, a podcast for men who are thinking about divorce in the middle of one now or are recovering from this horrible process. You will get advice from experts and hear inspirational stories of men just like you who have survived divorce. Now, let's get to work. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, John Nothlinger, the men's divorce coach and mentor. You can join our men's divorce support community for free at mensdivorcenetwork.com. Today, my guest is Jennifer McCaskill. I've known Jen for more than 15 years and consider her to be one of the top divorce and family law attorneys in the country and absolutely the best mediator in New Jersey. (laughs) I'm also proud to call her a friend. Jen has been practicing divorce and family law exclusively for 20 years, so she knows what she's talking about. She prides herself on finding her clients common sense solutions to their legal problems while giving them the confidence to move on to the next chapter of their lives. You're all going to learn a lot from Jen today. Thank you so much for being here, my friend. Well, thank you for having me, friend. I'm happy to see you. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, and I'm not exaggerating. You are one of the best. You really Oh, love. Thank you. Ditto. Well, because, you know, at the end of the day, what are divorce attorneys really? We're just we're not here necessarily to be the greatest legal minds in the world or anything like that. We're here to help people solve problems and get them from point A to point B. Um, and so they can move on the rest of their life and not be broken people. And I think you do that wonderfully, both as an attorney and as a mediator. So we're going to talk a little bit about mediation and litigation. But first, Jen, for the, everyone who doesn't know who you are, why are you a divorce attorney and how did you end up doing this crazy line of work? Oh my God. Um, well, my parents were divorced um, since I was like five months old. And, you know, I come from a divorced family, blah, blah. But it was more about, I think that when you ha- go into your career, you kind of give what you needed. Or, you know, I know for me, if my mother had had me as a divorce lawyer, my life as the child would have been a lot different, a lot better. So that definitely is a primary motivation. And then I also feel like, um, you know, it's not okay when dad leaves and also there's not enough money for food, like, which was my situation. Um, That really just pisses me off because of what happens to the kid in in all of this. Um, And then I also think I wanted to understand why my father left and why I didn't really have a relationship with him. I do now as an adult, but not not really so much as a child. So I think all of those things were like percolating around in my head. And then, you know, I was always pretty argumentative and strong-willed. Um, and then I was looking at grad school programs. Nothing really fit for me. I wasn't that focused. I was dating a guy who was in law school at the time. I was working at a place where everybody had their law degree. And then the universe just kind of pushed me to law school. And then... Once I went to law school, I was like, oh, I have to be a divorce lawyer. Nothing else is interesting. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, so that was it. And I've been a divorce lawyer for 20 years and it's and I still love it incredibly. So you're one of the few divorce attorneys who I think chose divorce. Most divorce attorneys will tell you divorce chose them for some by some miracle, I guess. Well, you've been doing this for a while and you've actually been practicing in different places. I know you started in Virginia and Washington, D.C., and then you came to New Jersey. So I guess I guess that's a good place to start. 
what's the difference between practicing divorce and family law in Northern Virginia and Washington, D.C. versus New Jersey? Oh, my God, like night and day. The issues are the same, right? The issues are the same. The emotional issues are the same. The facts and circumstances are, are the same. It's just the law is different. Like Virginia is not a big alimony state, at least not when I was practicing down there. Um, in D.C., the dockets are so heavy. You file a, a, a temporary mo for a motion for temporary support during the divorce. You're not getting. You're getting a plenary hearing in three or four months. So it was just procedurally, it was a lot different because the dockets were so much heavier. Now, New Jersey, they love them some alimony. And New Jersey law, you know this, loves them some alimony. So that was like probably the biggest difference for me, switching jurisdictions. I was like, alimony? Why, you know, well, what's with all this alimony? Um, but otherwise, it's like, you know, same shit. Well, as you know, a lot of our listeners are men, although we have a lot of women who listen to this podcast, too, because they would like to know what men are thinking. So I'd like to know your opinion about alimony, because, you know, that is probably one of the, if not the most, one of the most difficult issues to resolve in most divorces. So you indicated New Jersey loves them some alimony. I know throughout the whole South, it's, you know, Virginia going all the way down the South. You know, it's very difficult to get alimony. There's some places you got to be married, you know, 10 years to really qu even qualify for it. Do you think New Jersey has it right that it's really easy to get alimony here? Or do you I think, think I think New Jersey is, is definitely on the end of the spectrum, like heavy on alimony. You know, um, not every case calls for alimony. And, and it really depends on which judge you're in front of. I was in front of a judge locally a couple weeks ago, and I think my lady made 50 grand more than the husband. And the adversary was arguing that, you know, she's going to owe him alimony. The judge goes, really? Is she really going to owe him alimony? Now, I don't know if it's because of female judge. I don't know if it's because of that particular judge. Um, but I do think New Jersey's pretty heavy on the alimony, but I will tell you at least men in my experience, at least come to Jesus on a fundamental level of like, I'm probably going to have to pay alimony. My experience has been nobody hates paying alimony more than women. Mm -hmm. They think that it should be a gender based award. What do you mean I have to pay alimony? But I'm a woman. I'm like, yeah, the law doesn't say that. The law doesn't give a shit what gender you are. It has to do with how much for how long, how long you've been married, and what's the disparity in your incomes. But the obvious cases where, you know, somebody has been a stay-at-home parent for an extended amount of time and pulled themselves out of the workforce to raise the children, alimony all day. Yes, I agree. It's funny. I was part of a roundtable the other night, and this is the issue that came up was how, you know, men – men feel they get stuck with alimony and they don't understand why, you know, oh, but she's working or, you know, but she can go earn money. But whenever it's the other way around and a woman owes alimony, their immediate reaction is, well, he needs to get off his ass and go work. He's a bum. He needs to go, he needs to go off and work. Whereas that's, you don't, you know, you, if you said that the other direction, if a man said that to a woman, she needs to get off her ass, she's a bum, she needs to go work, it doesn't come out the same way. And I think it's really interesting the way we talk about alimony now and how women are starting to make more than men. Men are staying at home to take care of kids more so than they ever have before. So, you know, put your, put your mediator hat on for a second, Jen, because I'm sure this has come up in a mediation or two. How do you, how do you talk to, you know, a woman who's making a lot more money and they're looking at the prospect of alimony, because I'm sure it's a different conversation than you're having with a man 
in the same situation. Yeah, again, men are usually much more accepting out of the gate than women are. And then also, I also find men are much more reluctant to take it. Whereas women are like, yeah, give me the alimony. <laughs> why, why am I not getting more alimony? Why am I not getting 50% of his income? Um, as opposed to the men who, <clears throat> I have male clients who are entitled to alimony. I'm like, you're taking the damn money. And they're like, they think it's like, you know, makes their penis smaller or something. Like it does something different to their masculinity. And I say, listen, the numbers are what they are. It's math. You need the money. But I see men all the time roll over, not take the alimony, or they take a greatly reduced amount of alimony. And when I have that, I actually just had this in a mediation fairly recently where she owed him a good $30,000 a year of alimony. I was mediating the case. They didn't have attorneys. And I said to him, I said, listen, if you went and talked to an attorney, they would say you're going to get ish 30 grand a year in alimony. And she's like having a, you know, like a co complete meltdown. I'm like, just simmer for a minute. Um, but I said to him, like, this is, if you had an attorney, this is probably what they would say to you. And then I say to her, if you had an attorney, they would say he's underemployed. He should be making more. Because really, as a mediator, I'm just trying to inform them of what the different positions are that attorneys would take on their behalf. And like you, I've been on both sides of every fight, just so they can make an informed decision. And then I think he took a, he took a lump sum buyout of less than 30 grand. Um, but, you know, he, he did it fully informed. But I do find that there's a lot of shame around accepting alimony with men that there isn't with women. Oh, I think that's absolutely right. And I love I love how you do mediation. And of course, those of you that don't know Jen, we all appreciate her mediation approach, which is directness, which quite frankly, I think a lot of people in divorce need directness because particularly if they've had an attorney that maybe has been sugarcoating things or hasn't been telling them the way it is and things have dragged on, or you're just starting. Because uh, I'm sure you mediate a lot of cases, Jen, I know I do, where people just come, they're like, we just don't know what we need to agree to. We don't know what, what we're supposed to do. You know, we want to be fair with each other. Just tell us what to do. So either way, your approach to mediation, I think, is excellent. And I hate the mediators that I call them the kumbaya mediators, where it's like we're all going to, you know, hold hands around a circle and hopefully we'll hum until we get to a point where everyone is happy and they want to agree to something. So I do think um, everyone listening, when you're looking at mediation, you know, do consider a mediator like Jen, who's very direct is a good thing. I mean, what you as an attorney, you go to other mediators, Jen, what, what is your approach to the different types of mediations out there and the type of mediators there are out there? So I always choose my mediator depending upon the personality of the other side and the other side's attorney. So if I'm against another attorney who's like just a complete douchebag for the sake of being a douchebag, I say, fine, who do you want to go to? Because I let them pick the mediator because they're going to pick somebody that they're going to listen to. So that's one strategy I use. If I have you know, if I'm representing the woman and then the husband's attorney also has a female attorney, I'm probably going to choose a male mediator because I'm like, it's too much vagina. Like we need some <laughs> testosterone in the mix here. So the husband doesn't feel ganged up on by all of these women, you know? So I think about 
gender, I think about personality of the other party, of the other attorney. You know, there's plenty of male attorneys that aren't going to listen to a female mediator. Um, and then, and then I, and then I kind of go from there. I don't, I don't really care who I go to for mediation as long as they're going to be effective. And I'm, I never worry about, oh, well, if I let the other side choose the mediator, then maybe they're going to have an in with the mediator. And that's what clients always think. And, and it's actually not true um, because I know what I'm doing. And if somebody's trying to get something over on me, well, then the mediation ends. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, well, let's talk about people that don't have attorneys. Let's say they're coming in, you know, they decide they're going to get divorced and they want to come in and, and mediate their divorce. And you indicate you do some of that. So how would you tell people to look for a mediator? Because, you know, like it is right now, it's just like attorneys. People start Googling, you know, divorce mediation and, you know, someone will pop up for any number of reasons up on the top and they might call. But you know, just like when you're going to find a therapist or someone else, you need the right person for you and your family. How would you tell someone to look for a mediator if you don't have an attorney? I would say, you know, they should go online, ask for referrals. If they have videos, then you can get a good sense of somebody's personality from, from, from watching their videos and then go have a consultation, right? I mean, what the parties don't realize, although I always tell them, I said, listen, you're here to see if you, if I fit with you and I'm actually seeing if you're going to fit with me <clears throat> because there just, there has to be a jive, a vibe. Um, because you know, when you go to a mediator or an attorney, you have to be able to trust them. I mean, you're handling, you're, you're handing them your pile of shit and saying, you know, please make this better for me. Um, tell me what to do. Um, and you have to trust them and you should trust your instincts. People always give lawyers way too much, um, credence, <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, well, they're a lawyer. They must know what they're doing. Well, I don't, you know, it didn't feel, the advice didn't feel right to me, but I thought, well, I'm not a lawyer. Okay. My advice is don't, no, no, no. Listen to your instincts. And if you think somebody is not doing a good job for you, then you're probably right. And you can always go have a second opinion. Um, and it also depends on how you hear, right? I mean, some, not everybody can deal with my personality and my directness. <laughs> there are those out there, John, that I, that I, I really get under their skin. Okay. They need to go to somebody else. My office is not a Kumbaya office. Um, and I always tell them just because we're mediating doesn't mean that somebody's not going to cry, curse, throw a fit. Um, because I have people screaming in my office all the time. I have people crying in my office all the time. But the fact that they came to mediation to begin with the majority of the time tells me that they understand that they're getting divorced and they don't want to have a big fight for money reasons, kid reasons all of the reasons um and we can get there listen there there are times where i'm like you guys are not a good candidate for mediation and you need to go hire attorneys um but most of the time i'm able i'm able to get them there it takes me it depends upon how much how many assets they are how complicated the assets are how complicated the issues are but usually i can get them done within three sessions so on that note when would you recommend somebody go and meet with an attorney um, as part of the mediation process, do you think they should go before they come in to meet with you? Do you think they should only go to an attorney if 
you know, the situation warrants it after they meet with you? Like when is the, when should someone go meet with an attorney? That's a question I get asked all the time. You know, so it really depends on the person and the person's personality. I have a lot of people who come to me just individually and I will say to them, you're, you, you guys are probably a good candidate for mediation. Here's the mediators I recommend. And then what I have those clients do is I have a call with them before each mediation session to say, okay, this is what you can expect. Or they'll say, Jen, we're going to talk about alimony tomorrow. What do I need to know? And then I'm explaining alimony. I'm running numbers. I'm giving them the range of where I think that they should agree or where I, I recommend that they end up. Um, because, you know, people need to remember the mediator cannot give legal advice. We cannot give legal advice to people who are against each other. It's a conflict of interest. Although I do walk the line and I say, ah, eh, if I was your lawyer, I'd tell you this. And if I was your lawyer, I'd tell you that. And I always, it's always equal. Um, but it really depends upon the person. And then I've got people that come to me after mediation just to review the agreement. I think the most important thing is don't sign an agreement without having an attorney look at it. If you didn't talk to an attorney throughout the process, okay. But do not sign something without going to consult with a divorce lawyer on the terms and if the terms are correct. Yeah. Depends. No, I agree with that. In fact, one of the things I do, I do a pre-mediation call too, and I get them to agree with me that they're going to come to mediation ready to make an agreement. And once we make an agreement, they're not going to you know, say, well, I'm going to go talk to my attorney before I say yes. Go talk. If you need to talk to an attorney, go before mediation so that you have an idea because I, I feel like what's the point of doing mediation? If we're going to do mediation, you're going to go to an attorney and then change your mind. It, it, it really doesn't help. So if you feel like it's that important that you need that legal advice, you need the ranges, you need to know what I'm entitled to, all that kind of nonsense, then go go talk to an attorney beforehand. Go have the consultation, get all your notes, all that stuff. But when you come to mediation and we reach the end, be ready to at least tentatively, you know, the, the air handshake, so to speak, be ready to make a deal, be ready to make an agreement. Um, and if you're not ready, of course, then say, I'm not ready. I need to come back a different day. That's fine. But if you're saying I'm agreeing to a hundred dollars a week, don't say in the back of your head, well, um, only if my attorney says that's okay. Right. They, you know, because the whole point of mediation is to save money. It's to save money. It's to save time. It's to figure out how to reach an agreement without going through this court system, which, you know, we could sit and talk about the court system till we're blue in the face. I, as you know, Jen, I, I don't go to court anymore because, and my, I'll tell you what, my blood pressure is much better now that I don't because judges are notoriously all over the place. You, know, you get a new judge in and it's like, God knows what they're going to do. And, um, you know, so anyway, you, you know, talking to people beforehand, having them understand that they need to go talk to an attorney, or maybe they can come meet with you first. Those are all really good things. But I would say most people, they just come into divorce, Jen, and they're like, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. I have no idea what I'm supposed to do, what my first thing to do is. If, so, if you just talk to some random person on the street and they said, I'm divorcing my husband, what's the first thing I should do? What would you tell them? Get a handle on the financials. I mean, I had, a, I had a woman in here today. She makes a pile of money. He handles all the bills. She has no idea what they have. I'm like, what do you have in retirement? I have no idea. Do you have stocks? I have no idea. Do you have IRAs? I have no idea. 
do you have securities accounts? I have no idea. And, and it's not unusual, right, for one spouse to really be the person who handles the bills and the money. I mean, if you asked my husband what we'd have, he'd say, I have no idea. Um, if you asked him how much, you know, it costs to run the house, he would have no idea. He has no idea what we have at all. It was really funny, actually, because I open the mail, I deal with the mail, I deal with the bills. Like, it's been the one fight that we've been having for the 22 years we've been together on who handles the bills, and it's still me, by the way. So I continue to lose that fight. Um, he was like, I opened the mail for you. I was like, oh, thanks. <laughs> and he's like, he goes, did you know that I still have this retirement account? I'm like, yeah, yes, I know. <laughs> and he was all, like, happy with himself. I was like, dude. You have no idea, like, what we have, and it's fine. But you, usually one person doesn't have any idea. So if you're the spouse that has no idea, you need to get a handle on your finances. And they say, where do I start? Well, start with your tax returns. Look at your tax returns because if you have stocks or investments that throw off dividends, if, you, there's, if your spouse has an LLC or a business, there's going to be some reflection of that. Like, the tax returns are always a good place to start. Um, as well as, you know, the mail, <laughs> just ask my husband, the mail, where, where the bank statements come, come in. Yeah. Um, yeah. Look at the financials, educate yourself. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. It's, I would say it's, that's actually pretty much the majority of people where one person's handling the majority of the money. The other one knows very little. Um, I talk to people all the time, friends and uh, potential clients. And when I find out a friend knows nothing about money, even if they're in a happy marriage, I'm like, can you, can you, can you just maybe get the log on and passwords to all your accounts and just take a peek, you know, just do it for me, you know, just, just take a peek. Just oh, so yeah, John, a lot of times they don't want to know. Like, I don't oh. think my husband wants to know. Well, they, they just don't want to know. He doesn't have to worry about it. Listen, I would love to not have to worry about it. You know, I would love to not have to stay on top of things on at home as well as as work. But I don't know. It must be nice. Oh, I'm with you. I'd love to pretend like my Amex bill didn't come in a couple of days ago. It was like magic. It just magically gets paid. It's like a miracle. It's like a oh, miracle. my God. This is awesome. You know, I mean. Yeah, seriously. So um, you you have a law firm. Jen, where you have several other employees, uh, several other attorney employees that work with you. And I know another thing that a lot of people when they're coming into divorce have questions about, have concerns about is when they come in because they heard Jim McCaskill is, you know, God's gift to divorce, right? And they've been told that and they come in and they meet with you. But you know, Jen is a very busy attorney. She's got a lot of cases and she can't possibly handle everything and give everything, everyone the attention that they need. So she has very wonderful attorneys that work with her that she has, you know, that she's trained, that she's personally hired. And so she says, I'm going to have this person work on your file. And, and I'm sure some people have like that deer in the headlights look like, but I want you, Jen, I want you, you're, you know, you're the wizard. You're the wizard behind the curtain. I need you. How do you navigate that? Because I've heard it from people all over the country that I coach where they're like, well, I went in to meet with, you know, the partner and now I'm working with this associate and I'm not sure what to think. How do you do that in your firm and what kind of advice do you have for people to have the right perspective about that? 
So, you know, the, the CEO of Walmart is not at the checkout counter. You know, the, the, the person that owns the McDonald's franchise is not flipping burgers, right? They're running the business. So I explain to people as soon as they come in, in the console, because I am full transparent, I say, listen, my hourly rate is a lot higher than everybody else's. Every piece of work that needs to be done on your case does not need to be done at my hourly rate. When one of my associates can do the exact same thing as me at a lower hourly rate, they're gonna do that. They also have a lot more time on their hands than I do. So I say to them, you know, I'm not going to do, there's no way I would ever do every piece of work on your case. It's just not a good use of my time. It's not a good use of your money. It's just, and there's other things that they're, they're a lot better than me at. Um, and I'll say, they're going to be available to talk to you much easier than I am. But I, I assure them and I say, listen, but if you ever want to talk to me, you can always call me, you know, because I, it's not like I, I hand off the case and then I have, I never see it again. Right. Because in my office, we're constantly talking about cases and this and that and strategizing and picking each other's brains. It's, it's a lot of collaborating that goes on. So there's not. There's no case, even though we've got a lot of cases, there's none that I don't have no idea who they are or what's going on. And then I've got clients that will say, okay, great. And then I've got other clients that say, not, not as many as you would think. They're like, Jen, you know, I'm fine dealing with the associate, but when it comes to arguing in court or going to mediation, I want you. I say, fine, fine, no problem. Um, and that's the way that I, that's the way that I work it. Um, because I do have a big mediation practice and then I also do litigation practice and then I also, then I'm managing the business and the, and the firm as a whole. So then there's only so many hours in the day. So either people can deal with that or they, or they can't. But if somebody comes in, they're like, I only want you. I'm like, well, then you need to go somewhere else because it's not realistic. Like I am not drafting your financials. I'm going to review them, but I'm not collecting all the papers. I'm not issuing the subpoenas. Somebody else is going to do that. I'm not analyzing the financials. Somebody else is going to do that. Um, and then when I, when I put it in, and then I start to put it in dollar amounts. I'm like, listen, if you wanted me to do every single piece of work on your case, it's going to cost you an extra $25,000. <laughs> so do you want to save $25,000 and have me review and then go out in front when you need me to or not? And then, then usually they're like, oh, okay, yeah. Because they don't, you know, they don't know. It's my job to educate them. But if I'm billing at $500 an hour, they're going to pay me $500 to draft a subpoena when my paralegal who bills $200 an hour can draft the exact same subpoena? No. So people need to think about it in very pragmatic terms. Um, and that's the way law firms work. There's the partners and then there's the associates. But again, like you said before, all of my associates have been trained by me. They've all been trained by me. Now, that doesn't mean that they're a carbon copy of me, not by any stretch. I don't think anyone could be a carbon copy. <laughs> Generally, they're nicer than me. Um, but they're all very direct. That's for sure. And then there's there's no shrinking violets in, in my firm because I'm not I'm never going to, nobody's ever going to be rolling over or making a bad deal. Yeah, I think not on my watch. Yeah, I think that that is. I mean, that's how it is at firms everywhere, which is why I'm glad we talked about how it works at your firm. Is that 
people need to realize you're hiring a law firm, not an attorney. And people get really confused by that whole situation because I think we've all, you know, we're all programmed because we watch movies and we watch TV shows. And, you know, you go and you meet with this, you see in TV shows, they go meet with this one attorney and that attorney's with them the whole time. And what the reality is because of the way, the nature of what attorneys do, there's usually somebody else that's working on a case with, you know, with another attorney. And so you need to be realistic. I mean, whether it's a financial reason, like you were just pointing out, you bill $500 an hour, your associates bill less, or whether it's just a time issue, you know, attorneys can't be three places at once as much as a lot of our clients think that we should be three places at once. We can't be, you know, if we're in court, we can't deal with an emergency that's happening on another case all the time. So you need to be a little bit more realistic. And um, I hear this all the time. I'll get a referral to somebody, you know, because like you, Jen, I know attorneys all over the country. So when I get somebody, you know, in Atlanta that needs a divorce attorney, I've got three referrals for them. And when they go into the office, they're like, well, that person wasn't available. I'm like, well, meet with another attorney in that office. It doesn't have to be that attorney that I do because clearly if they're associated with the office, you you have some certain expectation that the quality of work in that office is going to be a certain way. So I think that was a really good, good advice for a lot of people because it's something that confuses people all the time. And you know, it's, it's, it's really understandable though, because especially in the land of divorce, right? They're coming in, they are, they're in a complete emotional turmoil. They, they don't know their ass from a hole in the ground. You know, they can't even see straight and they're, they're looking to connect with somebody, you know, they want to feel cared about, you know, and you got to care about your clients. I don't don't know how you're a divorce lawyer and not actually care about your clients, but it makes sense to me that they get, you know, and we know divorce clients can get very, very emotionally attached. Um, it is, it's an emotionally intimate relationship that I have with my clients and I miss them when they're gone. Um, I'm happy for them, you know, when it's like, okay, you're good. Go fly, be free. Um, <laughs> but I do miss them, uh, which is why I have a client party every year. So I get to, I get to see them and reconnect with them and hear how great their lives are. I love that. I love that. Well, and I think that as long as there's a good allocation of work in an office, it's, it's great. But, you know, you've heard the stories, I know I have, where, you know, somebody, some young attorney who, you know, really doesn't go to court very often, really doesn't necessarily know everything they're doing yet, is thrown into a case knowing nothing. And then you get these poor clients that are like, well, that person knew nothing about me. They knew nothing about my life. They only knew like the 10 bullet points that they were told to argue. They didn't know anything else. So, I I can understand why clients can get really frustrated too. I mean, can you imagine if you went to therapy and every time you went into your therapist's office, you might see a different therapist who doesn't know anything about you? Correct. Get it? I can get it. Yeah, I we in my office, the the client gets assigned to one of the associates, um, and then I'm always in the background, you know, and I'll I'll step out if needed. Um, but no, they get assigned to one person. They're not getting passed around where like the work is pooled and one person's arguing, another person's drafting, another person is, yeah, no, it's like one client, one lawyer <laughs> no, <that's, laughs> for, the, for the most part. Well, that's, that's good. So one other issue I want to talk to you um, about, Jim, before we have to go is uh, custody, because we talked about the money part of this. 
I want to talk a little bit about custody because that seems to be an evolving area, uh, a man-woman sort of divide of, you know, sort of something that's changing a lot. Um, there's been movements everywhere, including in New Jersey, but in other parts of the country to have presumptions of, you know, 50-50 time. And I hate that phrase 50-50 time because it makes children sound like there's some math problem. But, you know, you've got, you've got all these presumptions. You've got, you know, women... A lot of mothers of young kids just have this, you know, they just believe that they should have, you know, primary custody of children. Um, and then you've got men, you've got some men who actually cannot exercise, you know, a, a equal time sharing schedule that want it just because they want it or be, they want it for any other reason. So whenever you're coming into, um, you're coming into a case, particularly as a mediator, I, how do you, when you, because you've heard it before, you'll just have someone say, I want 50-50 time. Someone like they've been programmed to say that I want 50 50 time. How do you actually get to the point where you kind of peel the onion down to the core and find out what it is they really want and why they want it? Well, if somebody comes in and they say, I want, you know, I want to see the kids equally, I say, okay, great. What, you know, what does that look like for you? And then I start to ask them about their job and how far do they commute and what their hours are. Do they work nights and weekends? Do they travel a lot for work? And then I, I you know, usually when I ask those questions, the answers, it becomes clear on whether or not 50-50 is even doable. You know, because somebody who's traveling for work every week ain't having 50-50. <laughs> You know, and I say, okay, well, are you going to get a different job? Are you going to, you know, and they're like, well, no, but I, okay, well, no. Well, do you have an ability to manipulate your work schedule? Do you have an, an ability to, to control when you travel? Because, um, you know, we can, as you know, we can build a schedule around somebody traveling. But, you know, you come in and you get somebody who, like, works for a big consulting firm and they're traveling every week to, like, another state or another country Monday through Thursday Oh, okay. You ain't, you ain't getting 50, 50. So uh, I usually approach it, like ask the question. So they really come to try to come to it on their own. And if they don't come to it on their own, then I shove it down their throat and I say, what are you like? Are you serious right now? Like, what is like, what are you doing? Like how, how you tell me how this is going to work. And then you get the moms who are like clinging to their children because we all know, right? Women, from the from the time we're born we are expected to be mothers we are expected to be selfless we are expected to put everybody else fucking before ourselves i get a little heated when i start thinking about this i get fired up <clears throat> and if they're if you're not a mom and like especially if the mom's been home for 10 years or 15 years or 20 years their whole identity is a mom whole identity and then they're like i'm sorry what you're telling me i have to go back to work you're telling me that my kids are going to have to go to daycare and it just really messes with their heads. But I do explain to my women, I said, listen, you are going to come to rely on when your ex takes the kids. <laughs> You're going to need a break. You're going to look forward to it. And if God forbid you ever start dating again, or you want to go away for a girl's weekend. I said, You're going to, I said, You're not doing yourself or your children any favors by holding on so tight to them and trying to deprive them of the relationship with the other parent, just because your whole identity is wrapped up in being a mother. 
you know, I have a lot of those conversations with, with my women clients. Um, and the men, it's more about pragmatism and is it actually doable and what does it actually look like? And listen, there's a lot of men that just want to be a good dad on paper. And that breaks my heart every time. I love nothing more than a dad who truly wants 50-50 custody of the kids because they want, they're an involved dad and they want to be. There are lots of dads that just want to be a good dad on paper. And it breaks my heart every time. It's so true. And it's interesting because um, I am divorced and I have a 50-50 arrangement. And what's interesting for me is whenever I was married, we had an equal sharing of parental responsibilities. It really was a shared responsibility. So becoming 50-50 and having being fully responsible 50% of the time wasn't as big of a challenge because I was already doing so much in the house. But a lot of, and I'll say guys for the most part, but it could be women too. If they weren't really the primary caretaker in the residence, they just don't understand what it's going to be like being a single parent. They don't get it. And the only people that are going to suffer is, are the children. The children are going to suffer because it's a lot of work. It's like working five jobs in your house. And if you have multiple kids like you do, Jen, it's like each one's its own job. I mean, it's not like it's not like right? each one's like a full time job. And you know, if it's particularly um, you know you have younger kids, there's a little bit more. You know, people the kids that are less reliant, less self reliant, you've got to do a little bit more for them it becomes really difficult. So I, I have that conversation with guys too a lot. I'm like, do you understand what this is going to mean? Do you understand you're going to have to get your ass out of bed early? You have to get them up. You have to get them dressed. You have to get their lunch ready. You're going to have to get them all this stuff. And their eyes start to bug out because they were so used to just flopping out of bed, getting in the shower and going to work. And someone else might have been taking care of the kids. Well, well you know where you know where that I see that come up a lot is when the kid has to stay home from school sick. Yes. Yes. Well, what do you mean? And so a lot of times I write that into my settlement agreement. If the kid is home, has to stay home, then this is who has them. Um, just to really spell it out, because you're right. One one parent has usually taken that for granted. Yeah. On who's going to be home. Well, what do you mean I have to stay home? I have to go to work. Okay, well, dude, now, now it's 50-50. You've got your child 50% of the time. You're 50% responsible for them on your days. You are solely responsible for them on your days. Period. End of story. So if you've got Monday, Tuesday every week and your kid is homesick on Tuesday, well, guess what? You're home too. Or dealing with, the, with getting the care for the child or the doctor or whatever it is that you got to do. Oh my God, that's so important. It's so important that people understand that, you know, there's a lot more to raising a kid than just, you know, them being with you. I mean, you can't and just... And it's, it's important too for the children to see both parents being able to take care of them when they're sick. Take yeah. them to the doctor, take them to the dentist, take them for the play dates and the birthday parties and schlep them around and do the homework and all that. It's best for the children to have both parents able to do that. Oh yeah. And we could talk about this topic all day, but I mean, then you get to... You know, it's so important that you get to know the parents of the friends of your mm -hmm. children so that you can arrange play dates, so that you can, you know, understand when there's a birthday party. Like, you know, there's little things that a lot of uh, mostly men uh, just forget that they're not going to have somebody else, you know, 
interfacing with other parents and, you know, getting to know the other parents at school through the PTN or PTA or whatever it's called at the school that your kids are at, you know, talking to the teacher. I mean, some, a lot of times parents aren't both on communications with teachers. So a lot of times it's one parent that's communicating with the teacher. There's so much that people just forget and they just make it a math problem. I just want 50, 50 time. And they forget like there's about 5 million things that come with that. And I just really, I feel so bad for so many kids because, you know, for us, we live in this world where if a dad says they want 50, 50 time and they say, I'm going to do everything I can to be there for my kids. It's hard to tell him. No, it's hard to say, no, you shouldn't have it. Um, I mean, unless it's like you just had an example about traveling everywhere or working in New York City or you know, something that maybe where it just can't happen. It's hard to tell them no. But at the but if you start asking them the questions that we were just talking about, Jen, you start to realize they're really not ready for it. Or, you know, maybe it's just not it's just not really what they want. They're just talking because they've they've heard from their friends. They've heard from an attorney. They've heard from everyone under the sun. You have to ask for 50 50 time. You have to go and you have to ask for 50 50 time. That's what you should get. Or you're not a good father. And but my heart. on the other on the other hand, there are those parents and usually it's the dads that step up and are a much better parent after the divorce than they ever were during the marriage. Mm -hmm. They're much more involved. They're much closer with their children because a lot of times they've been living unhappily married for years and maybe they're working too late or maybe they're going out all the time because they don't want to come home to the unhappy house, which then negatively affects the, the relationship with their children. And then after the divorce, they have a great relationship with their children. They're more involved than they ever were during the kids' lives up until that point. And I, I, I always give give the the less involved parent while they're married the benefit of the doubt, right? I mean, everybody gets a chance to fail. Yeah, I'll, and, I'll fight for that all day. And I'm sure you've had that conversation with um, the other parent. Uh -huh. You know, it, listen, if it's not going to work, then you know then we can make a change, but at least give them a chance. I always say you have to let it play out. And and I hate when I hear from a, a woman client, I'll be like, he's not capable. I go, really? Is he really not capable? Or you just don't want him to be capable? Because if he's really not capable, then why'd you have kids with him? <laughs> or my favorite, Jen, you're talking about an eight-year-old and they're like, he didn't change diapers. What? <laughs> I mean, you you hear like just ridiculous people have it in their heads. Like it's almost like they keep track of like little things that people didn't they do. Keep score ago, and yeah, I mean, for, and they forget that your kids are who they are now. I mean, kids change. I mean, you have three, so you. I mean, how many how many phases do a, does a child go through between the time they're born and they get to high school? Oh Never. my God! Well, I, the, the phase that my seventeen year old is in, I, I'm I'm wanting to know like when that's going to end. <laughs> <laughs> well, he won't be. In, he won't. He'll be away at college before you know it, Jen. <laughs> Uh, you know, I talk to other parents whose kids have gone to college and I'm like, I can't even like think about him going to college in less than a year. And they go, by the time it's ready for, it's by the time it's time for him to go to college, you're ready for him to go. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, that gives me hope. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, 
you, I know you're really busy, so I really appreciate you giving us your time and your expertise and so many really important nuggets that I'm sure our listeners are going to really take to heart and hopefully be able to use in their personal lives. Thank you so much for being here. Oh my God. Thank you so much for having me. You know, I think the world of you and I can only, I'm not surprised at all that you're divorce coaching business is doing so well because you have so much knowledge. You have such a great way about you. You're very pragmatic, but you're also very compassionate. So congrats on all of your success, friend. And thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Of course. And if you're in New Jersey and you're looking for an incredible divorce attorney or mediator, Jen, how would people contact you? Oh, well, you can, you know, do the Google and and put my name in there or you can um, go on my website which is jjmccaskill.com or just give us a call 732-747-1882 wonderful and all that contact information will be in the show notes and is probably on your screen right now thanks again jen so much thank you john thank you for listening please remember to subscribe to the show we'll see you next time